Hi, this is Michael Lowe, and you're listening to May I Ask You a Question. My next guest is Dr. Lisa LaGeorge. One quick note, in the podcast, I did not address her as doctor, and I'm publicly apologizing for it. She worked really hard for that doctorate, and I didn't acknowledge it. I'm sorry, Dr. Lisa. With that said, in the first part of our conversation, we talk about the foundation the Lord built in her during childhood, leading to a love for sharing the gospel, which has been such a driving force for her life through missions, teaching, and now at Children's Hunger Fund, where she serves as director of CHF Academy. Before we dive in, one other note. I was a dunce and thought I had recorded the beginning of the conversation. I didn't realize it wasn't recording until after a good five minutes. So another apology to Dr. Lisa and to you, the listener. The podcast jumps into the middle of Lisa talking about her childhood and how her love for Christ and missions was planted early on. Thanks for listening. The, the Great Commission was calling us to speak to people about who Jesus was, who Jesus is. And, uh, and so I think that's the first thing is that I recognized that there were people who had never heard of Jesus. Um, mm. And that still today I'm finding is a surprise to many people. Yeah, uh, I remember sitting in a meeting with some of our missions teams from, from the university where I taught coming home and uh, the, the students were telling their stories, I think from Nepal. And they talked about walking up into a village and being in this village and the villagers asking them, who are you and, and what God do you serve? Hmm. And, uh, and so they began to tell the story of God creating the world and uh, man sinning against God and God sending his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and die and be raised in order for men and women to come to know to know God and to be in right relationship with him. So our, our, my students are telling this story and they said with tears in their eyes, these villagers had never heard the name of Jesus before. Wow. And one of the aunts of one of the students leaned over to me and she said, surely in this day and age, everyone's heard who Jesus is. Hmm. And I just remember thinking, wow, she grew up in a really solid church that preached the word of God. And yet somehow she and a lot of other Christians have missed the fact that there are more than 3 billion people, that's billion with a B, 3 right. billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus or met a Christian to even be introduced to him. And so uh, oftentimes I will tell people that the Coca-Cola company has done a much better job marketing their sugar water yeah. than Christians have in communicating the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, so it, it made you super conscious then uh, growing up in, in Candor, New York and, and in the small town, uh, but housing missionaries and getting to hear from them and talk to them just helped you to realize more and more that uh, that the gospel needs to go out and that these missionaries are, are serving a purpose because people don't, there's, you know, at, there's half the world almost that doesn't know about him. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just the people who were coming. It wasn't just the missionaries that really uh, made that, uh, made us aware of that. I mean, we would, we would reach out into the neighborhoods in our, in our little community I remember my dad driving the Dodge van. We had an orange Dodge van that was probably like 1962 or something. And we would drive that around to the trailer parks in Candor and pick kids up. Um, they'd get in the van and, you know, there would be a smell and they would be dirty. And I just remember as a little girl thinking, wow, these guys need a bath and they need Jesus. And, and that wasn't, you know, it wasn't always apparent to me. I was a little embarrassed sometimes getting out of the van with all these kids. Yeah. But the Lord has really used that over the years to continue to remind me that that's, um, that's what I look like in my sin is dirty and uncapped. Mm. And yet he has uh, reached down and drawn me to himself, even though um, I, I really don't deserve it. But mom and dad were so great in reaching out to people and caring for people and uh, helping us to care for people as well. A little girl with disability that I grew up with and yeah. we would go to Awana together and we were in the same, same uh, Awana group all those years. And 
I just remember thinking, wow, what's, what's God going to do with her? How's, how's she going to come to know him? And, and bit by bit, we saw that she and her simple, simple understanding understood very simply that Jesus was Savior. And it was just a really great thing for a child to be exposed to uh, poverty, disability, um, and lostness. Yeah. Um, and yet to, to not get bogged down in the, in the hopelessness of that, but to actually recognize that Jesus is really better than all the answers that the world has uh, hmm. to, to take care of any of those things. And so uh, recognizing that there are ways to love people um, by bringing food, or there's ways to, to love people by caring and bringing education. But in the midst of that, the ultimate hope of the whole world is coming to know Christ uh, in a in a very real way. Uh, talk a little bit more too about your your growing up in a Christian home and, and that church, um, because I think um, uh, Christianity to me sometimes was oversimplified in you know the four spiritual laws and that oh yeah now I just don't have to go to hell those sorts of things. But there was a you speak of it with a very full picture, uh, and and I, I hear too an admiration in your parent of your parents. Um, when you think back on it, uh, what was, you know, what was the gospel to you at, at such a young age? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I was five years old when I came to know Christ. Wow. And I remember my parents would read the scriptures to us. My dad was a new believer um, mm -hmm. when I was born. And, uh, and so there was a lot of zeal there. He comes from an Italian family and had grown up in the Catholic church and became, just began to recognize the, the worthlessness of his own deeds uh, hmm. to help him get anywhere. Even though the church said, no, 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 just keep doing these things. You'll be fine. Um, and so there was a lot of zeal when he came to know Jesus in a really weir real way um, through the scriptures, he recognized the forgiveness of his sins through Christ. And so we, we had the scriptures in our home we were in church every time the doors were open. And, and I think there were times I didn't understand it. But when I was almost five, I remember my mom reading the story of Abraham and uh, God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on yeah. that altar uh, and to demonstrate his love, Abraham's love for God and uh, through his obedience. And uh, I just remember walking away from that story there in Genesis as a young child and thinking, you know, I think that's what God did for me. He gave hmm. his son, even though Abraham was provided with a different sacrifice, God didn't provide a ram for me. Yeah. He provided his son for me. And it became clear. Um, it was already very clear to everyone that I was a sinner. Um, so it was clear to me. <laughs> that was clear to my parents. I'm pretty sure it was clear to the neighbors. Um, and, were you a uh, troublemaker? A little bit. Um, yeah, a little bit. There were a few fights uh, when I was a kid. Like don't, like real fist fights? Don't take the ball. It's my ball. <laughs> yeah. Don't take the ball. Um, I didn't ask you to play with me yet. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like bullies, and so um, I took care of at least one of them in the neighborhood. <laughs> oh, that, that's um, a very very noble effort on your part. <laughs> Yeah. And so it was apparent to me that I was a sinner. I mean, that was pretty obvious. Yeah. And it was apparent to me that God loved me and that he had provided a way for me to not feel bad about my sin anymore, um, mm. to, to take it away, I was being told. Mm. Um, and I was an early reader, so I could you know, pick up the word and, and read it for myself. And I think that's what I started with, was an understanding of my sin, God's love, and Christ's offering. And whether that's a, an oversimplification of, of the gospel, I'm not sure. I think maybe we've complicated it too often. Mm. Um, and so recognizing the character of God, the work of Christ, and the state of my own heart is very, it's pretty, it's a, it's a blessing to be called out of the domain of darkness and into uh, his glorious kingdom. Um, even at a, at a young age. And there were, there were years where I didn't know. I wasn't quite sure. I know there was a yeah. winter camp when I was 12 or 13 years old where I'm like, 
yeah, I still sin. Am I saved? And, you know, right. so you, you raise your hand or put your stick in the fire or whatever it is that, you know, you're being asked of at that point to indicate that you really want to serve Jesus. Um, and uh, I remember 12 or 13, that being the case. But when I was, um, when I was in high school, my parents decided to homeschool me my last three years of high school um, to help out with uh, some family scenarios going on with caring for my grandmother. And, and so they said, well, why don't you go and do this thing over the summer and do something over the summer where you get to spend time with kids your own age. So I, um, (laughs) I got the New York times out and started looking in the classifieds uh, to see what opportunities existed. And I found this, (laughs) this canoeing trip, a whitewater canoeing trip for three weeks wow. through the wilds of Canada. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Who's, who's was, leading that? Uh, a couple of barely 20 year olds who, you know, did it year in and year out. Cause these days I think REI does that, but I don't, <laughs> I'm guessing you didn't have that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, we had a, we had a canoe and we had all of our food with us and we canoed about 400 miles and in, in about three weeks. weeks. Yeah. Two and a half, three weeks, three weeks all together, you know, getting there and, and loading up and getting out. Um, and uh, so I ended up going on this, this canoe trip and for the first time was really immersed in a, in an unsaved, unchristian mm. environment. Kids had drugs with them. They were all sleeping with each other in different tents, the swearing, the, and this is, you know, this is back in the eighties. So it yeah. could have been a lot worse, I suppose. Yeah, right. um, but it was, uh, it was a shock. And I remember sitting by the fire one night with my Bible in hand and saying to myself, they look like they're having a lot of fun, but I was reading the book of Hebrews. And I realized that as the writer of Hebrews was saying to the to his readers, don't think about going back to where you were. Don't think about going back to the to the Judaic lifestyle. Jesus yeah. is better. And as I read the Psalms and as I read the book of Hebrews and I read the Gospels over those those weeks, I just was I mean, it was just clear to me that living for Jesus was better than anything else that the world afforded. Um, One of my favorite hymns growing up was my father is rich in houses and lands. He holds the wealth of the world in his hands. And, uh, and just thinking through those hymns and saying, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Yeah. It just was very clear at the age of 15. Um, was there, was there, uh, I mean, you knew that what they were doing was wrong and was it, did it look like frivolity or just look like evil to you? Or was it just, you know, you, you were just, um, content and trusting, uh, in, in what you knew was true. Yeah. I was a little bit of a chicken to join in, um, okay. which was good. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. the Lord protects us through our, through our ignorance and our fears sometimes. Yeah. Um, but it looked like it looked silly to me. It just, Mm -hmm. yeah. Frivolous is a good word for it. It looked very temporary. And I knew that following Jesus, because I had all these missionaries in my head, right. I had all these, these missionary biographies that I had read and the the biographies of Christians. And, um, you know, I'd met Johnny Erickson Tata when she was just Johnny Erickson, um, (laughs) as a kid. And, you know, just thinking, here's these people who have lived really hard lives and yet they've held on to Jesus. And so just like you would read in, in, uh, Hebrews 12, after the great hall of faith, um, since we're surrounded by such this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every sin that so easily besets besets us. I think I, I grew up thinking about that cloud of witnesses and yeah. having that those examples around me that made Jesus look beautiful. Um, mm. And, uh, and so it just was really, it was, it was a stunning, um, stunning thing for me to look at and go, no, I don't want this. I don't want that lifestyle. Yeah. I want Jesus. And so, you know, I think all, throughout all those years, I kept asking asking the Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Do you want me to go be a Bible translator in Papua New Guinea in a place where no one's ever heard of you? Or 
Um, I thought about that for a while. I spent a couple summers in Papua New Guinea working with Bible translators. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And uh, when it came down to it, when I graduated from high school, my goal was to go to a year of Bible college and then go to farrier school. Farrier? Um, farrier, yeah. A, a person who takes care of the hooves of horses. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't sure if it's like somebody who who drives like the captain of a ferry ship. But I, I keep yeah, yeah. going. Well, that's a good, you know, that came later. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's like my friend who good. thought culinary school was like a medical school for colons. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I only hang out with the best. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I'd go to farrier school and then go be a, a blacksmith, a farrier for Jesus in Mongolia. Because oh. they get a lot of horses. I liked horses. Yeah. I'd grown up riding. And um, and so I thought, oh, this will this will be a great way for God to use to use my understanding of the gospel in a country that doesn't have had maybe a handful of believers in 1989. Yeah. And uh, I just I thought that's how God's going to use me. And then he sent me to to this Bible college. And uh, the very first day of of our orientation program. I met the most incredible teacher I've ever seen. I had ever seen uh, to that point. And, and since then, he's still one of my favorites. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, Lord? I think I want to do that. I want to yeah. teach the Bible like he's teaching it because I'm really excited right now about your word. So in a matter and, of, 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 of uh, what, weeks, your, your uh, dream of being a missionary was replaced by teaching? No, my dream of being a missionary just continued to morph. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And so rather than being a, a farrier, uh, <laughs> you know, I thought God's going to be able to use education yeah. uh, in, in missions. And I'd love to learn how to be a teacher. Huh. And so, um, so that's what happened. I went to school, uh, studied Jewish studies and uh, got a degree in Jewish studies from what's now called Cairn University in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, which I took that major really because I wanted to go and live in Israel for a year. Yeah. And so I lived in Jerusalem for a year, got involved with a church plant um, that was multinational, uh, spent the, the Shabbat afternoons with my pastor and his family, hmm. and uh, really got to know some Israeli families, some some Armenian families uh, who lived in Jerusalem, Arab, Arabic shop, shopkeepers who were around us, um, and began to, to see how God was going to use my understanding of the land, of the history of the scriptures, uh, to be able to communicate that clearly to people around me. So when I graduated, I did become a missionary, a missionary educator who worked with horses in Alaska. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Why Alaska? Or was it just that? Yeah. How did that come up? Uh, I had to do an internship in the university and uh, the internship was supposed to be working with children because of the educational focus. Okay. And uh, some friends of mine said, why don't you come work with us in Alaska for the summer? And so I did that one year. And then uh, Alaska is a little bit like malaria. Once you've been up there, it's just in your bloodstream. And it doesn't take very much for it to kind of flare up and for you to go, oh, I just need to get back. Yeah. Um, but I, I went to Alaska and that year the, the wrangler quit. And because I had horse experience, I ended up wrangling and counseling, working with kids and uh, just really loved, loved that. And so it was able to take everything I had learned in my in my university training and begin teaching, uh, teaching this group of kids when they were sixth, seventh grade and followed them all the way through high school graduation. And then actually followed a couple of them down to California to the university that they began attending. And I started teaching there as well. But all along the focus has been on missions, both mobilizing people to understand um, that God really wants his people uh, to communicate who he is to a world that doesn't know him. Uh, so mobilizing them, but also um, getting getting students trained uh, to be able to, to not just be interested in the world, but to actually go and be uh, competent and confident communicators of the gospel. Uh, when you think about uh, the drive to um, 
to kind of open those doors for people, open their eyes and, uh, to, to missions and, and the need and, and um, all that is there. Do you, it, it may be a combination, but is it, is it this joy of like, hey, we, ha we do have this greatest gift. You need to share it with people because they need to know what this is. Um, or is it uh, like, is it, uh, I don't know, are, are there other motivations that you, you kind of feel like too? Like, come on, people, stop being so complacent in your, you know, American lifestyle, just staying at home in your suburban homes and doing all these things that are comfortable for you. Are, are there uh, motivations for you uh, that kind of just keep kind of pushing you uh, to want to, uh, to spread that to people? Yeah, you know, I think one... Um... One of the motivations is probably a little self-righteousness. Mm. Uh, I know, I know something here, right? I know that more than 3 billion people on the planet don't know who Jesus is. Yeah. And I know that, and I want you to know that, and I want you to do something about it with me. Right. right. And so, so I think over the years I've had to learn to temper the appeal at times. Yeah. I remember one of my friends just saying to me, Lisa, why are you so burdened by this? Why is this such a, uh, such a something that you can't, you, you can't have a conversation without getting there. And that kind of, that burdened me to actually evaluate and go, okay, what, what is it? So, so I think there's a little bit of, of self-satisfaction in that. Um, yeah. Lord willing, that's been tempered over the years. Um, yeah. But I, I really do think it comes down to the fact that that Jesus is beautiful. Yeah. The gospel is amazing. And there's a, there's just a delight in being able to tell people who he is, especially when people want to hear. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I remember sitting in, in a small city in China, it's this city that's just so tiny. It's insignificant. Nobody's ever heard of it. It's got only got a million people in it. And, uh, <laughs> says the lady from a, a city of 900 <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know here a, a million is that's a significant city in right the, uh, yeah um but it's not so much in china there's a lot of no. them and yeah, uh, yeah. i just remember crossing standing at a crosswalk uh in china waiting for the light to turn and um i was pretty used to people following me and trying to listen to my conversations because they were curious and Sometimes they would stop and they would introduce themselves, but then they'd run away giggling, you know, with their hands over their mouths. Um, but this one, this one couple got the, got the um, nerve up to ask me my name and where I'm from and why I was there. And then they said, your tagline, may I ask you a question? <laughs> And I said, sure. And I, I mean, who knows what's coming, right? What's right, the, right. You're just bracing yourself. The salary, how much do you weigh? These are all questions that were coming. <laughs> um, and they said, can you tell us what Christmas is all about? Huh. And I, rem I said, do you have time to sit? And uh, we sat right there on the curb at that corner. Wow. And, and I explained to them what Christmas was all about. And... Uh, and they said, wow, can we read about this somewhere? And so being able to share with them that there is this thing called the Bible that has the full story. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I think you can get one if you go that way around the block a couple times. Um, yeah, right. And, uh, you know, but the, the excitement, the delight in their eyes of, of seeing for the first time understanding for the first time that there was something more than just this world that they were living in was just yeah. so exciting to me. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's ever been an issue of guilt. Um, you know, sharing the gospel out of guilt, maybe yeah. on airplanes. I do feel <laughs> guilty when I don't share the gospel on airplanes. Right. You have a captive audience. Right. Um, and yet, uh, I don't want anyone to talk to me when I'm on an airplane. So, you know, there's there's just that little bit of, eh, you know, I feel right. a little guilty if I don't. Right. Um, but I pray and I ask the Lord to to give me opportunities in that. And so, you know, I think that's it's been something that's that grows um, yeah. as you understand and your affection for Christ grows. Hey, we talk about what we love right? Yeah, 
Right. I mean, right. I talk about tacos. <laughs> right? What kind? What kind of tacos? What, what kind? Uh, what's the meat? Al pastor. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, since since my life is basically sponsored right now, I'd like to give a shout out to Fiesta Tacos on Thirteenth Street, Rita <laughs> Canyon Road. Yeah. So you know, we talk about what we love. And if right. our affection is boiling over, if it's bubbling over for Jesus and yeah. for what he's done for us, it's going to come out, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's some of it is just is, is asking people to think about what it looks like to not even have that option. Right. You know, a lot of my friends are asking, well, wh why don't you care more about what's going on in the U.S.? And I say, yeah, I do care about what's going on in the U.S., but you can turn on any television radio or pick up any computer walk oh, in any bookstore yeah. <laughs> right and you can find you'll just run into people who are proclaiming the truth of the gospel right right um you're you're also going to find a lot of a lot of junk um, yes but there's a difference when you start thinking about that person in china or the couple that i met from um from North Africa, hmm. who I gave them a Christmas card and they said, what's the story of this baby on the front of the card? Yeah. They don't even know. They've never heard. And we, we, have, uh, we have both a responsibility and a privilege to, to make Jesus known uh, to a world that doesn't know him. You know, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, I think I was listening to a pastor the other day, a few weeks ago, talk about, you know, the importance of us sharing the gospel and whatnot. And um, at some point I started to, uh, I was thinking about the sermon and took a step back thinking, you know, we, we talk about the transaction of sharing the gospel so much that um, sometimes I, it, it would, it, it seems to be, we put too much emphasis on sharing the gospel and then you know as a side uh uh what's the word uh, unintended result sometimes we feel more guilty because we talk about the transaction too much and if we had if we would spend more time talking about uh, thinking about what god has done in our lives and just how our testimony and our walk with the lord is evolving then it's almost obvious. Like when people talk to me like, oh yeah, I can't, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you about my, my son and how much fun he is, how he's growing and how, uh, you know, what my wife did the other day. And, you know, the, just the things that I love or the, the coffee that I just drank from, you know, I'm really liking Colombian coffees right now, but Why? those are, what's what? Why? <laughs> I don't know. They, you know, Kenyan coffees used to be uh, be my favorite, and more recently, I've thought, you know, I should try some Colombians, and then they've just they've wowed me. They're really well, uh, they're really well executed. I don't know what, how else to put it. But <laughs> well, you're you're illustrating my point, right? Right. We yeah. talk about what we love. Yeah. I love Ethiopian coffee, right? All right. So yeah. how do we how do we talk about Jesus or our church too, right? Yeah. I found that to be a really natural, just a natural drop in. You know, if people ask me, "Hey, what you got going on this weekend?" Well, right. I, you know, got this going on at at church, and man, it's just great to be together with people. Yeah. Not so much, you know, these days, but um, you know, at least I can see half their face. Right. Yeah, that's right. it. We we talk about what we love, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and I I think too uh, it's uh, we 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 don't spend enough time, especially with you know smartphones and whatnot. We 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 don't spend enough time uh, sitting and thinking about what it is that God is doing in our lives and the beauty that it is, because mm -hmm. it's it's totally true that uh, you know in our neighborhood, if you walk down drive down this hill, you can see out into the Puget Sound, and the sunsets are incredible and. Mm -hmm. I tried, one of my goals is to try and to get Isaiah, my son, to just pay attention to it and say, look at that, buddy. Don't take it for granted and appreciate it. Who made that? And, uh, but, you know, when things are beautiful like that, you, you just react to it. You can't help but react to it. Um, yeah. And so uh, it, it, I, I do sometimes, I get a little um, wary of the emphasis so much on sharing the gospel. Um because it it's uh, it sometimes feels a little out of proportion to me uh, yeah. in terms of um, focusing on 
hey, what's God doing in your life? What are the, the ways that he's showing himself to be magnificent and incredible? Mm -hmm. yeah. And all the, all the hyperbole that we attach to everything else in life. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a lot of our lives that, um, you know, if we're, if we're in the scriptures and we're thinking about how Jesus lived on this earth, I think a lot of our lives um, have touch points to the mm -hmm. gospels, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was in a rickshaw. I've written about this some, some places, but I was in a rickshaw with one of my friends at one point, and she's amazing communicating who Jesus is just as a, as a brief touch, touch point. Um, we sometimes call them pebbles that you drop mm. in people's shoes. Mm. Maybe it's yep. not the whole uh, theological treatise on, on the gospel, but it, it's a touch point where you get you get these bits and pieces where people begin to hear you say, this is who Jesus is. This is the kind of God he is. This is how he interacted mm -hmm. with people. Um, yeah. And so we're in this rickshaw and there was this raucous parade going on around <laughs> us because it was one of the regional God's birthdays. Huh. And so they had gone to the temple. They'd gotten the God. They'd put him on a little... Um, cart and dressed him up and put flowers and and everyone had their best clothes on and they were throwing a birthday party for the god by parading him through the streets yeah and so as we jumped in this shared in this shared motor rickshaw one of the ladies was just laughing she said to my friend who spoke who speaks hindi she said uh, oh man i can't believe this is you know this is such a crazy day that we're celebrating our god and she says to her what god do you serve yeah, it's just a very common question yeah, yeah. in places that um, are polytheistic um, or uh, they believe that, you know, any any God will do, just pick one. Um, and so uh, so because she'd been speaking on this tumult that was going on around us, my friend said, oh, I serve Jesus, but you know what? He's nothing like this. Hmm. And so here she's setting up. Yeah. Jesus is Jesus is God. But she's setting up the contrast to what this woman's God was like and the worship of this God was like. She said, yes, yeah, as, as a matter of fact, one time he was in a boat with his disciples and a storm had come up. And yet he was asleep in the bottom of the, the bottom of the boat. And the disciples are afraid they're, you know, the, the winds are howling and it's crazy around them. And, and they thought they were going to die. And they woke him up and said, don't you care if we die? And so she's saying all this in Hindi and I'm, I'm picking up bits and pieces of it. <laughs> and then I heard her, her say, and Jesus said, Shanti, Shanti, hmm. peace, peace. And she said to this woman, that's who my God is. He's yeah. the one who brings peace, not tumult, but peace. Yeah. And the lady, uh, you could see the quizzical look on her face and she kind of shrugged her shoulders and she said, well, all rivers lead to the ocean. Oh, well, well. And then it was her stop and she got off. Huh. You know, just the, the little bit. So maybe next time yeah. she bumps into a Christian, which, you know, who knows how many years will be between those those interactions. But maybe she'll she'll remember, oh, Jesus is the God who brings peace. I could use some of that. Right. Um, you... And so just those brief touches. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the pebbles because sometimes um, I think uh, I feel the burden of, you know, okay, I need to, I need to give the comprehensive gospel. And mm -hmm. more than that, I need to affect the result, the salvific result in this person so that they are now saved after my conversation. And I don't know if it's uh, just because um, you know, like, is there, is there an inner hero in me that wants to, you know, get another statistic on my baseball card on the back of my baseball yeah. card or, you know, or is it, um, uh, is it just it, as opposed to, um, tell them what, you know, tell them, uh, what is true and, um, uh, trusting that God is going to, um, grow seeds as, uh, and, and just do, do what you, uh, can do in the moments that you have. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we, I think those of us who have grown up in churches where 
the strongest emphasis is maybe expository preaching um, and solid doctrine and theology. Uh, I think sometimes we forget that it's the spirit who does the work. It's mm -hmm. not us. Right. It's not our theological stance that saves someone. Right. It's the power of the spirit at work in the hearts of men and women. Mm -hmm. I was using that as a general term, right? <laughs> indeed, indeed. The spirit indeed. at work. And <laughs> we could mess things up. But just like we don't always pray the way that we should or know what to pray for and the spirit interprets for us right, with groanings too deep for words, right? Um, I think that the spirit actually can correct and allow someone to hear what is accurate about the truth of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually been a really sweet thing because in the end, I'm not the one who saves anybody. Yeah. But God has chosen to use me to communicate who he is mm -hmm. to people as as one of his first uh, his his first touches um, of awakening in their understanding of the gospel. Um, he chooses to use me and sometimes he uses other things. Right. He used Balaam's donkey. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and and we feel like we have to, we have to, we have to be the hero because God might not be able to do it this time. Right, <laughs> right. Um, and uh, I, I got, I, I got us a little off track. Um, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how my conversations go. Uh, I, I'm curious to know. So, uh, you are the director of CHF Academy. Tell, talk about how uh, you're, you're able to share your love for missions at CHF and what, what CHF Academy is. Sure. Well, CHF stands for the Children's Hunger Fund, and it's an organization that is now 30 years old. And oh, we yeah. exist, yeah, this year is the 30th anniversary. I remember the 25th. And, oh, there you and, go. And even the 20th, yeah. My wife was there and at those times. Yeah. yeah, I'm still, I just opened up a document today that had her name on it. Oh, um, so it's kind of fun. Yeah. So the Children's Hunger Fund exists to to deliver hope to suffering children by supporting local churches mm -hmm. um, with resources that they need uh, so that they can reach out into communities that are impacted by poverty and hunger with uh, with both material resources of food and with spiritual resources of the gospel. And so uh, we we do that through a uh, home delivery of food, um, not CHF, we deliver food to churches, churches do the home delivery into a family's home. And so um, part of my role is helping to both select staff who understand and have a, a burning desire to see God's word go out, but also to, um, to train our staff to know what our mission is, hmm. what our values are, to help shape the culture of the organization so that People enjoy coming to work. Uh, they love being with each other, hmm. and uh, and they enjoy uh, doing the work that they're called to do. Whether it's um, someone who's working with our donors, or it's someone who's inputting data into uh, into the computer system, or uh, our IT services. Um, recently, one of our we were doing a book club, and we were working through a book called Good News to the Poor. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this in this book, we were looking at how there there are many people engaged in delivering the gospel to one person through a ministry like this that's engaged in mercy ministry. And one of our IT guys, uh, I don't I don't actually know what he does, um, but he works in <laughs> IT. But even if he told me what he did, I wouldn't understand it. But he helps people IT... turn their computers on and tell yeah, them to restart. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so one of our IT guys said, you know, I, I realized that I'm an infrastructure guy helping the gospel go forward. Huh. I was like, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, you got and it. I'm, you got it. Yeah, yeah, he got it. And so so my role there at CHF is really internal training, development, assessment, okay. culture shaping. And, uh, and it's been a real joy to be there for the last three years. I actually had volunteered uh, for the last 20 years taking my students 
uh, to CHF and volunteering. It's just five minutes south of the university where I taught. Yeah. And uh, and so was able to be a part of projects over the years. And it's really um, a sweet, sweet opportunity to be uh, in the in the office there in Silmar at the headquarters and serving uh, to see churches reach out into their neighborhoods, uh, both here in the United States uh, as well as overseas. So we're working in about 25 countries. Yeah. We have a few more countries coming online here soon. Oh, great. And, uh, yeah. And so we've got about 85 staff members between our offices in Silmar and Dallas and San Antonio. Wow. And then we serve with, uh, we partner with nonprofits in uh, international settings to send them either financial grants or um, actually resources of food, depending on which is most cost effective okay. for them. And so uh, it's really sweet to see the Lord's work through uh, almost a thousand churches uh, around the world and around the U.S. So you uh, you you kind of exist to uh, help uh, fortify the vision internally to, to kind of repeat and reinforce that, Hey, you guys, you guys are part of something that God's doing here. And, um, kind of so that Dave Phillips doesn't have to keep telling everybody, but that you get to keep telling everybody too. <laughs> well, Dave's a much better storyteller than I am. So we let him tell it as often as he's willing to. Um, but yeah, that, that's a part of it. And I mean, part of it is just, I, you know, I've traveled extensively. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of cultural background, uh, a background in cultures and in cultural intelligences. And and I've read a few books in my day. And so it's just nice to bring that knowledge to an organization that is working as widely as yeah. CHF is and to be able to ask questions from a different perspective sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, than than some of the staff would think too, and so yeah, it's just it's really sweet. We're we're working through uh, our leadership team right now is working through a book called by Paul Tripp called Lead, and we're thinking through oh. what does it look like for us to to lead within the organization, um, recognizing our uh, God given limitations, uh, living with the gospel every day in in our minds. And so today, one of the staff members, as we were talking about it said, I think we should, he should have called this book just live because hmm. that's really what we're doing is as believers, we are living and working together in a way that is uh, demonstrating the gospel every day to each other, as well as to the, the churches that we're serving and the families who are being served by the churches. So it's really, it's, Every day is different. I believe it, and, and you know, as you're as you're talking about it too, uh, it it almost sounds. It, I'm I'm a millennial, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, however you, you want to categorize it. But uh, I, I, my my sense and understanding is that things I've read through is that my generation and younger we strive to be something a part of something that has great purpose and. Uh, it, and, and that we find fulfilling in a more intangible way, whereas maybe my parents' generation or previous generations um, were, uh, were thankful to have the job and provide food on the table, those sorts of things. Uh, whereas, you know, my generation is more of, well, it's got to be a little bit more than that. I have, to, I have to emotionally connect with it. Do you feel like that's part of what your role is uh, helping to more firmly establish for, for the team there? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's been a big part of, how I have served over the years is recognizing, man, I know exactly why I'm getting up in the morning. Hmm. And it, uh, that's not to say that you can't be a, a really godly um, barista yeah, or that you can't work at McDonald's and feel like you're serving God. You can do those things if, if it's the vocational calling that right. God has given you. And so, um, and so I think helping our students recognize that they are a part of a community, that they are a part of the body of Christ. And even though we are not the church, we are servants of the church. And whether they're at Children's Hunger Fund or they're somewhere else, the rest of their lives, if they're serving Christ, right. they're going to be a servant of the church. Right. Um, and so 
So even stopping and thinking through what do priorities look like? Um, mm -hmm. you know, if, if church is something that's hard for you, why? Let's right. think through that. And that's not the employer's role necessarily, yep. but as Christians, it is our role to walk yeah. with one another mm -hmm. and to care for one another and to think through how do we live Christianly with each other as mm -hmm. Christ followers. Um, and so, you know, that's a, that's a little bit of a sea change for us as we're thinking through that. We yeah. are a professional organization that has a job to do. Right. And yet we are members of the body of Christ and we, uh, we can show to the world by how we engage with one another, what that body, what the church actually should look like mm -hmm. in, um, in supporting and loving one another. And so we see that, you know, we see it as, as we do different events. A lot of our, our volunteers come from organizations that are just looking for something good to do. You know, they, yep. they care about hunger. And so we care about hunger too, and we want to help them care about hunger and other things along the way. Right. Um, you know, so we see organizations that'll put together a mobile food pack where we take the food maybe to their warehouse and then they pack it in our boxes and uh, we're really glad to work with them. But one of the things we hear from them every time is your staff obviously love each other. Hmm. And hmm. they're curious about that because their own working environment doesn't look like that. Right. And so, you know, so we have to talk about things like conflict resolution and what happens when two people sitting in, in cubicles next to each other can't work out a disagreement? Right. We have to talk about those things. But we Wait, they're sitting that. in Christian organizations? <laughs> <laughs> but we do that in a way that is, that is Christian because yeah. the gospel allows us, um, actually the gospel equips us yep. to love one another. If we say that we, we love God and we don't love our brother uh, who we right. can see, then, you know, the truth is not in us, First John tells us. And so Indeed. we want to recognize that even conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. Yeah. You asked me earlier, and I, I got off track, um, <laughs> but you were asking me about how it, how it impacts my love of missions. Um, mm. I mean, the reality is I get to talk about this, right? Yeah. I get to talk about how what we do, although it isn't what would be... Um, classified as traditional missions. We're not church planting. Mm -hmm. We are a church strengthening organization, helping churches to uh, reach out into their community and to, to communicate the gospel to people who are both spiritually and physically hungry. Hmm. And so um, really, when I talk about missions, what I love about missions is that people are learning about who Jesus is, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what the church does. Uh, and so whether it's uh, serving as a youth worker in Alaska or it's training people to go to the mission field or teaching uh, English um, or, uh, you know, the various jobs that I've done, that all of them have been, they've been all very different, right? Um, but they've all been focused in either communicating myself or helping others communicate directly that Jesus is Jesus is the savior of the world and mm. has offered himself on behalf of those who will come to him. And so yeah, so it's been it's been a sweet transition from higher ed to this nonprofit world, yeah. but it's all still very focused in helping uh, others communicate the gospel. Well, and, and it it is uh, it's true the the uh, communication of the gospel just it just ha happens and can happen and almost has to happen through so many different avenues, um, and so it it's it's great. It can be in you know like you did in Alaska. It can be like you've done uh, overseas, other places, uh, or teaching university, and now at CHF. What's what's the church? Not the church. The CHF's website again. The URL. So the, the website for CHF is uh, childrenshungerfund.org. Okay. And uh, there's a there's actually an educational uh, piece to that at povertyencounter.com. Oh yeah. That's actually a um, 
a multi-sensory museum experience that we have yeah. at the office at the headquarters uh, that because we're in Los Angeles, we have these amazing sets that <laughs> yeah. allow uh, allow church groups or school groups to actually step into a very realistic depiction of what poverty looks like mm -hmm. in various contexts. And then we're able to provide not only education about what poverty is, but then also speak about how uh, churches are able to carry the hope of the gospel uh, with food boxes, uh, food packs into people's homes. And so uh, our guests get to get to walk through uh, a home in the um, in the dump uh, in Guatemala. Yeah. Uh, or in uh, they get to walk through the streets of Haiti the day after the earthquake that took place uh, mm. almost, I think, 11 years ago. Uh, or a brickyard in Nepal, or the sewer system in in Romania, they get to walk through those and see various contexts internationally, and then also uh, hear from pastors who are engaging with uh, with families impacted by poverty here in the United States. And so, poverty encounter is another means that people can have to learn about what uh, Children's Hunger Fund is doing and what God is doing through the church as he's uh, he's move, moving them into these communities. Which is just great because, uh, you know, in some ways to, to give uh, financially to an organization, it's a little bit easier. You can keep an arm's length and you don't have to totally know, like you can get your tax right off and, and be done with it to, be, to put it in a, in a cynical way. But uh, to, to be fully informed as to, hey, this is what it's going to. And when you see these events happen around the world or these events that you don't see happening around the world. These are the part of, these are some of the people that we're trying to help, uh, tangibly, but then, uh, because we're doing it through these churches, then, uh, we are trying to help them, uh, ultimately, uh, so that they understand that they have contact with the church and that they can know who God is and, and worship the, the one true God. It's so great. Yeah. It's a, it's a blessing to be a part of it for sure. Thanks again for listening. In the second part of our conversation, Lisa and I talk about singleness, why it's important to talk about, and how the Lord has helped her live well as a single person in the church. Lord bless.